Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Before it used to be, if I want it, I'll get it. But now it's, do I really need it? Can I afford it? Can I get it another time? Is it really urgent? It is quite stressful. You don't need me to tell you that the cost of living is rising at the fastest rate for 40 years. Latest data show that the annual rate in the UK is close to 10% as the price of food, fuel and energy bills soar. It's kind of scary. The days of eating two, three times a day. At the moment I have a job that they feed me, so that's my meal done for the day. Yay. Holidays, forget it. I don't know when I'm going to be on the plane again. Yeah, I've noticed an increase in in my food shop. So I think to sort of save money, I try to aim for like a more budget kind of food. So just trying to think, do I really need that sort of expensive version or go for the cheaper version? Yeah, I do try to meal plan, yeah, buy in bulk and then space it out across the week. That's just a tiny sample of voices from the streets of London. But everyone's got questions about where all of this is heading. Like you can probably budget for it for six months to a year, but how does it unfold over the long term and what's the best kind of financial movements to make now? The thing that worries me is probably how do I save enough money probably to eventually get a down payment on a house? Welcome to Money Clinic, the personal finance podcast from the Financial Times. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's consumer editor. Coming up, how is inflation affecting our investments? And will pay packets keep pace with soaring prices? We'll be unpicking those questions with a panel of expert guests. But first, a bit of history, because the last time prices were rising at this rate was all the way back in 1982. The Falklands War had just ended. The Falkland Islands are once more under the government desired by their inhabitants. God save the Queen. More than one in ten workers were unemployed. I'm on the march. We're very concerned about unemployment because our jobs are constantly under threat. But also because, as well as the three million or so already fully unemployed, there's hundreds of thousands more of us who are in fact just one step from the dole queue. The first ever Next store opened, no doubt doing a roaring trade in leg warmers. And the 20 pence coin entered circulation for the first time. Many Money Clinic listeners will probably be too young to remember any of that, but I was there, and so too were today's expert guests. So let me introduce them, starting off with my colleague Chris. Hello, I'm Chris Giles. I'm the economics editor of the Financial Times. 
Well, thank you for joining us today. And also down the line, we have Sarah. Hi, I'm Sarah Coles. I'm a senior personal finance analyst at Hargreaves Lansdowne. I was actually there in 1982, although I was eight. So I was mainly interested in things like the price of Freddo's rather than anything else. Well, that's that's fine. I mean, penny sweets were, were my poison. My goodness, you could definitely get 20 pence to go a long way in, in 1982. I don't know what you could really buy with it now. Well, Chris, let's start off with what some might term stupid questions, but we like to tackle these on the show. Why is inflation so high? And is the cost of living likely to get even more expensive? Well, let's deal with the first one first. Why is inflation so high? The the main reason uh, inflation is so high is that things that we have to use, so petrol, diesel, electricity, gas, the global price for these things has got fantastically more expensive. So Mm. the commodities have risen really sharply, and a lot of that is to do with the Ukraine war and that is now feeding through into other goods and services. And the other reason is that actually we've got very low unemployment and we have probably got too much spending compared with the amount that the economy can produce. So each all economies have a sort of a capacity at some stage that they can run too hot. And our economy is, even at the moment, running a little bit too hot for the amount that we can produce. So we're getting a bit of shops thinking oh, actually we can raise prices more we don't have to worry about competition so much we can actually try and increase our profit margins a little bit and we're seeing certainly that some people are trying to defend their wages as well and then they're not just accepting this inflation and it's almost certainly going to rise above 10 percent come the autumn the key moment for that will be when the price energy price cap goes up in october when that happens, and we're expecting another 50%, 55-0 or so percent rise Goodness. in gas and electricity bills for the really difficult part of the year, the winter, uh, when that happens, we're likely to see inflation rates of somewhere 11, maybe even touching 12% or so, and then hopefully it'll come down. I think what people are worried about is it won't fall back to close to zero which is when you don't have to think too much about prices rising, that it might stick at a little level too high, about sort of four or five-ish. Now, Sarah, I'll bring you in here because you've been digging down into the inflation data for June that was released last week. Now, the overall rate of inflation, what economists call the headline rate, was nearly 10%, but there are some areas where listeners are really likely to be feeling the pinch. Yeah, so Chris mentioned petrol, and that is one of the areas where the price rises have been really hair-raising. So in June, so the annual petrol price inflation hit 42%. Gosh. It was up to 184 pence per litre. If you remember in June, we were kind of seeing record high sort of prices every single day. Um, and so that's just fed through. It means that if you've got like an average um, car, it does mean you're spending about £30 more each time you fill up, which is the kind of cost that it's, it's really difficult to take on the chin. And as I say, that was in June. And since then, prices have actually gone even higher. It, it definitely shows that, that you know, the, in, the petrol prices are really powering a lot of this inflation. Um, another really big area is energy bills. So um, I mean, Chris mentioned this this huge rise and obviously the big hike we had back in April of, of, sort of £700 a year. It means the cost of gas has almost doubled in a year. And electricity prices are up by around a half. So that is a huge rise. And that feeds through again into everything. So, you know, mm. if you think it's not just you heating the house, it's also, you know, people heat, heating shops and factories. It's it's really 
sort of feeds in right across the board. Mm, and of course, the, the commercial users don't have the benefit of the consumer price cap, keeping their bills low. They have immediately, in many cases, been been exposed to those higher prices. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the fact that we've got this extra price rise forecast for October and, you know, the, the we're still at the sort of estimating it stage. But yes, it could be 50 percent, could be as much as 65 percent which is not, it, it's kind of, it's very, very hard to imagine how people are going to be able to stretch to pay that. So energy bill is going to be a really major consideration for people. And the other one is food. So food prices are up 9.8%. And food is something we've got really used to just sort of not rising terribly much because the supermarket's got loads of pricing power and sort of keeping down the price rises. But definitely food is, more recently has been really ramping up. And one of the things is is the fact that the staples have gone up as well. So it's not just, you know, sort of glamorous, exciting, posh, expensive food that's gone up. We're talking about things like pasta and butter and, and milk and those sorts of things that, you know, once you get to the point of, of uh, you know, of shopping around for it, you're really stuck. At, there's not, not really any way you can you can cut those costs. Mm. Well, in fact, Lurpak butter was trending on Twitter a few days ago because people had found one kilogram packs were for sale in certain supermarkets for just shy of £10. And they had a security tag so that people wouldn't nick them. Mm. Now, Chris, did anything jump out at you from the June figures that we haven't mentioned? Yeah, I think there's a few things that really are sort of quite amazing at the moment. So if you look at every single item that the Office for National Statistics calculates the inflation rate for, then they build it up into one big... The basket! The big basket. There's about 200, I think I'm going to get this wrong, but about 270 separate uh, categories in that basket. And 96% of them have rising prices. And nearly 70% of them are rising at more than 4%. Yeah, and there's just there's just literally no escape from it, as we heard from those clips at the top of the show. Now, we're going to talk about interest rates next, because central banks around the world are coming under increasing pressure to raise interest rates in an attempt to put the brakes on inflation. In recent days, we've seen the European Central Bank increase rates by half a percentage point, And Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey has indicated that hiking rates by half a percentage point could also be on the agenda in August for us. Now, that might not sound like much, but if it happens, Chris, it would be the steepest rate rise in something like 27 years. It is. It's something that we haven't experienced since 1995. But now there is definitively talk of a half point rise. It's not definite that Bank of England will do this uh, when they meet on the 4th of August. But I don't think you find the Bank of England governor actually saying it explicitly when he didn't have to. So I would have thought interest rates in the UK will rise. And for people who've got very large debts, particularly very large uh, mortgage borrowing, when they come off fixed rates, particularly the people who've been on fixed rates for maybe just two years, will get a big shock. Well, we're going to talk to Sarah about that in a minute. But first, will raising interest rates do anything to calm raging inflation, particularly as so much of it seems to be as a result of the war in Ukraine? Yes, they will, but slowly. And it takes it takes time for interest rates to have any effect on the economy. It can have no effect on the price rises we're seeing in Ukraine. It can't have an effect on some of the causes of the price rises. So it will do nothing to change gas supply in Europe. It will do nothing to change uh, the global oil price. But what it can do and what they're designed to do is gradually, let's be brutal about this, raising interest rates are, are to kick us a bit harder. We're already suffering and the Bank of England thinks actually 
because Britain is just poorer, because we have to buy all these things from abroad, which are now more expensive, we've still got actually a little bit too much spending, even though the world's a much less pleasant financial place than it was. And so we're going to try and rein in that spending a bit by making borrowing more expensive, making it slightly more attractive to save. If we then get evidence that actually inflation is just falling like a stone, let's say in about a year's time, um, because everyone, the, the world's a horrible place, we've gone into a very deep recession, then I think they won't stay high for very long. They'll come down quickly. And part of the calculation the bank is doing is thinking that it's actually less risky to put them up quite hard now because they can always cut them later. Mm. Well, that may be of some comfort to anybody looking to refinance their home loan. So, Sarah, let's talk about mortgages for a minute here. Now, interest rates rising again. Of course, if you're one of the million or so people in the UK who's on a floating rate, that's immediately going to be costing you money every month. Fortunately, about 80% of people in the UK have done a fix. But if your fix is ticking down towards the end of its term, then quite a nervous time. Yes. And actually what we're seeing at the moment is that mortgage rates are actually rising faster than the base rate. So Moneyfacts, which keeps an eye on these things. So it says that in the past seven months, so during that seven months, the base rate has gone up 1.15 percentage points. Well, actually, the average two-year fixed rate has really outstripped that at 1.4 percentage points. So we're actually seeing mortgage rates rise particularly fast at the moment. And one of the things that happened quite early on when rates started to rise was that the the banks really held back on on pushing these rates up. So they really held on to some of these lower rates for longer. And that was because they actually, because they have so much lockdown savings sort of sloshing around in the coffers, they're not desperate to boost rates on, on either mortgages or on savings because they just had plenty of cash. Now we're getting to the stage where they're saying, you know, they are actually passing these rates on. Um, And if you are on a variable rate in particular, that's going to hit you very hard. I think one of the other issues about when you have more people fixing for longer is that in the interim, it's great because you're protected. But actually, it means the jump from where you were to the new rate is actually going to be more painful. So if you are on a longer rate, if you've got less than six months until you um till you, till your rate runs out then actually you can lock in a new one straight away so it's worth doing that just so that you get in ahead of any other rate rises um if you have longer then it's worth making a plan just so that you know when you get to the end even though you, your costs might go up quite significantly you will have a plan in place because it's it's one of those things that you know it's not nice to face but if you face it early you can at least plan for it one of the only good things about interest rates rising is that savers are uttering a small share of relief because we are starting to see interest rates on savings account really starting to motor up now we are i mean it's 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 one of those things because it comes hand in hand with inflation they're all still well behind inflation but we we've really seen some some really chunky increases over recent months um, and so now we're in a position where the best two year rate is is over 3% which is something that we've not seen for such a long time um it does mean however you, you, if you look at something like the easy access um market so the best rate at the moment is is about 1.6% the vast majority of people who have easy access savings have them with the high street banks and they've been really, really slow to pass these on. So it's worth looking around and finding these sort of smaller challenger banks who are offering these much higher rates and it's worth just voting with your feet and moving. Um, People can be a little bit concerned about about moving to banks that they've not 
they don't know terribly much about. So it's worth knowing that all the protections that the high street banks have in place, they're all in place for those smaller banks operating in the UK as well. So you have the same protections, you have the same sort of the first um, £85,000 of your money is protective if, if something goes wrong. So, it, it, you know, it, it might be a bit, a bit of a step to move away from the high street bank, but now really is the time to, to do it. Because as, as you say, these, these rates are rising. Now, Sarah, let's talk about how investors are finding it difficult at the moment. Why is inflation such bad news often for our portfolios? Well, I think one of the things that investors are interested in, so that they're interested in in growth of their of their portfolio and the value of their portfolio. But it's not just growth itself; it's growth compared to inflation. So you're actually trying to outpace inflation in many cases, and once you've got this sort of level of inflation, you know, you have to be getting 9.4% just to be standing still, which which is a, is a big ask at the moment. And obviously, Sarah, you've got access to all of the data of what Hargreaves Lansdowne customers are investing in online. Are there any interesting trends in the data as your customers seek to inflation-proof their portfolios? Well, we're definitely seeing outflows from some growth-focused funds. So, they're talking about the sort of the growth falling out of favour. And in return, we've really seen some interest in value stocks. So, those are stocks which make profits today and they tend to pay a decent dividend compared to their price rather than necessarily having huge growth potential for the future. So, the sort of value stocks, I mean, it's things like oil and gas. It's also things like banks and things like telecoms. And they're all amongst some of our most bought stocks at the moment. One of the other things that tends to hold up at a time like this is commodities. So that's things like um, gold and copper and coffee, as well as things like oil and gas. And we've really seen a lot of interest in stocks around that. So we've seen people kind of taking a look at their portfolios and thinking about rebalancing them to, towards the sort of things that might that might sort of do better in this kind of environment and away from those things which is really suffering at the moment. Mm, well, certainly from the evidence I see on Instagram, there are a lot of young investors who have got portfolios that are consisting entirely um, of, of tech. So that's definitely something they could be thinking about. Now, let's move on to talking about pay and inflation. The people who are the worst hit right now from the cost of living crisis are those whose pay or whose income from benefits isn't keeping pace with that near 10% annual increase we're seeing. Now, Chris, it probably won't surprise you to learn that our podcast episode, How to Ask for a Pay Rise, is one of our most downloaded this year. But economists, including Andrew Bailey at the Bank of England, worry that pay rises could stoke inflation even further. Could, could you explain why? Well, very simply, that if let's assume there was just an economy of one person and they got paid more and so they had more money to spend, they weren't producing anymore. So what they bought would have to go up in price. So if there's no additional production, but all workers get more money, then essentially the price has to rise to, to the level of spending. Where pay isn't a problem at all is if there's more productivity so we become more efficient as an as a society so we produce more goods and services uh, for the same number of people working uh, and then we can pay ourselves more mm. now it's a pretty crucial time at the moment for millions of workers in the public sector who are desperately trying to agree pay rises. And we're seeing lots of strikes being threatened, indeed being carried out on the railways this summer because workers don't think the pay rises they're being offered are enough for them to cope with the rising cost of living. Well, I think you know, in, in lots of ways they have a point because ultimately 
the government will have to set public sector pay in line with what private sector pay is doing. Because if you find public sector pay slips well behind private sector pay, ultimately you have terrible recruitment and retention problems. Mm. Now, Sarah, there are, of course, some government cost of living measures that we've already seen and more coming down the tracks to help us deal with October's jump up in energy bills. But you're already worried that these just won't be enough to bridge the gap, particularly for younger people and workers on lower incomes. Yes, absolutely. So so we produce the HL Savings and Resilience Barometer and we do that with Oxford Economics. And it, it's a really quite a complicated piece of modelling. But they've modelled what our financial position is right now and it's in relation to all sorts of things. So it's things like debt and savings. And one of the key bits is how much money people actually have left over at the end of the month. They have a sort of resilience threshold for this. And at the moment, but the way that it's measured shows that just over half of us are passing that resilience threshold at the moment. So just half of us have got a reasonable amount of wiggle room in our budgets to sort of cope with unexpected costs or price rises. When we get to the end of the next 12 months, so all of these price rises that are filtered through, that's going to fall to 12%. So we're going to go from a stage where about half of us have got plenty of wiggle room to a stage where it's going to be only one in 10 do. And that's going to, there's going to be some really, really big hits down, as you say, amongst people who are earning less and amongst younger people as well. And so I think one of the questions that government will have to be facing is whether actually support needs to be targeted at this particular group that, that while, you know, the £400 for all households has been you know, incredibly welcome, it's not really looking at those sorts of measures in the future. It might be looking more at actually targeting it towards those people who are really, really struggling. Mm, well, certainly I've donated my council tax rebate to a fuel poverty charity and I'll be donating the £400 that I'll get on my energy bills as well. Follow the hashtag donate the rebate if you want to join in that campaign. Well, finally, I'd like to ask you both a little bit about tax and inflation, because tax is one of the key battlegrounds for our prime ministerial hopefuls, Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss, as they slug it out over the next few weeks. Now, Chris, In this coming battle between Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, how how much of a thing are tax cuts going to be? How do you expect this to to play out? Oh, it's everything. I mean, you know, in the week of the final two being announced, it's been centre of their argument. So the difference between them in a nutshell is that they both say they want to be tax-cutting prime ministers. Uh, Rishi Sunak says you've got to balance the books first, or at least get the public finances in a in a in a in a good order first, and then I can cut taxes. Liz Truss says no, you've got to cut taxes first because that actually will get our economy into uh, a better state and therefore raise more money. The real truth is, uh, with an aging population uh, and a lot of demands on the public services, it's unlikely that either of them will be end up being tax cutting prime ministers because we are in a phase where public services are becoming more expensive. So unless you want to scale back on public services, we should be expecting tax rises, whoever is in in power. You know, because we're talking about an unknown future, it's impossible to say who's who's right or wrong on this. Uh, And uh, it is just, I'll just say one thing about Liz Truss's plans, that, that cutting taxes raises revenues. There's very little evidence from the history of the UK or from other countries that that actually happens in real life. And it's particularly unlikely to happen when you've got full employment, which we have at the moment, because there's no real room to have lots of extra jobs created 
Sarah, anything that you would like to add on this topic of politics and, and tax? One thing I'd definitely say is that really nobody campaigns on the bad news. So it's, it's like when, when you get somebody elected, that's the point the other shoe drops and they say, well, in order to pay for that, we're going to do this. So I don't think we're getting the full picture. I don't think we can assume that, you know, as Chris said, I just don't think we're going to get to the end of this process and think, oh, hooray, we're all well off now. It's purely going to be a case of exactly where the pain comes and how it's designed to come rather than suddenly relieving the pain for all of us. Well, thank you both so much, Chris and Sarah, for joining me in the studio today. And although it's not a brilliant money story that we're explaining to you, I really hope that having listened to our experts, you do have more of a handle on what's in the news and will enjoy the political dramas more for it in coming days and weeks. That's it for Money Clinic this week, and we hope you like what you've heard. If you did, spread the word and leave us a review. And if you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show, then get in touch. You can email me. Our address is money at ft.com or DM me on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. I'm at Claire B. Money Clinic was produced by Persis Love and Philippa Goodrich. Our executive producer is Manuela Saragossa. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner. And the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That is the small print over and done with, so see you back here soon. Goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.